shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the people, peoples of your people, against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. God for his word this morning. The church does look really, really super good, does it not? We said last week that it would be transformed, and so it is uh, very transformed, and I hopefully have a really good Advent Christmas season. I'm looking forward to it. I was jamming here last night while Amy was finishing up doing the, um, the Advent candles, so um, just, I'm just anticipating Christmas Eve, Christmas service, and all that we're doing in the future. Here we go. The 1971 Walton's Christmas Homecoming Special was a story of John Walton traveling 90 miles from his house in the mountains to find work. The factory had shut down. Their mill had went out, out of business, and he needed to work and take care of his family, so he went to the big city of Charlottesville in Virginia. And he had to travel 90 miles to get this job. The kids, Miss Walton, and John's parents were anticipating his homecoming. This is why this movie is called The Walton's Homecoming. They worked hard throughout the house on Christmas Eve anticipating his arrival, talking about when Dad comes home and what we're going to do on Christmas Eve, preparing all the things that need to be done on Christmas Eve. They were hoping for his arrival. But in the process of Christmas Eve, they had two problems come their way. The first problem was the old dude was 90 miles away. So when the kids were asking John Boy, they said, John Boy, we cannot wait for our dad to get back home so we can spend Christmas together. And John Boy, being the good guy that he is, said, hold your horses. Let me dampen your hope just a little bit. Number one, our dad has to cash his check. Now, we might make fun of that now, but could you imagine in the 1920s and 30s going and cashing your check? That would be nutso. Then after he cashes his check on Christmas Eve, he has to take a bus to Charlottesville. After he gets on the bus to Charlottesville, when he gets off the bus, he has to get on another bus and go to Hickory Creek. When he gets to Hickory Creek, he then has to hike six miles to get to the house. And he says, brothers and sisters, that's going to take a minute for our dad to do all that. So don't get your hopes too far up that our dad's going to make it. Problem number one. Problem number two is later in the day, uh, John's parents were listening to the radio. The radio had just come out. There was no television. There was no phones in the mountain for them to call one another. And over the radio, they hear a bus had wrecked in Charlottesville. Two men had perished on the journey. Miss Walton comes out and she goes up to the radio and she gets nervous. And the, her in-laws say, listen, we don't know that John was on that bus. And she says, nevertheless, we're just going to wait. Because back then, they didn't have a phone to communicate with the family what happened. And on the radio said, we're not going to make any announcements till the next of kin are notified uh, of what happened, who their, the, the family member was. That had to be a grudgingly experience. 
sorry, experience for the him to hear such thing to have to wait maybe all night, maybe two days to find out if John was on that bus. That was pretty bad that two men had perished and they heard such a thing. They had no phone. So as Christmas Eve went on, it's maybe 7 o'clock at night, they're still hoping and anticipating the return of their dad. So the, Mrs. Walton and her mother-in-law are down there cooking and doing things. The kids are kind of running around upstairs. All of a sudden, they hear a knock at the door. The kids come running down the stairs. They're so excited. Miss Walton and her mother-in-law, they look up and see what's going on. They open the door, and one little kid says, It's just Charlie Sneed. Charlie Sneed looks at us and says, Well, great day in the morning. What kind of welcome is that? He's asking this question. And Miss Walton says, well, Charlie, we didn't mean any disrespect, but we, we were expecting John to be home with us on Christmas. And Charlie Steed looked at him and said, John's not here yet? He said, that old rascal, he ain't going to miss no Christmas with his kids. He will be here. And so they said, okay, we're, we're trusting you. Don't worry about it, oh, Charlie Sneed says, that John Walton will not miss Christmas with his family. So even though they have these two problems, the kids and the family are still hopeful that John will return home. At midnight, the father-in-law goes down to ring the doorbell. He says, the Methodists are doing it. The Episcopalians are ringing the bell. Don't you think the Baptists were going to go ring our bell too? So he takes off at midnight to go ring the church bell. Let everybody know Christmas is about to happen. Everybody goes to bed. Early Christmas morning, they hear clank, 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 clank. The kids wake up. They run downstairs. Miss Walton comes downstairs. Their kids open the door, and there they see Daddy. He has a big old bag. Oh, and his big old bag is just full of presents. And they see our Daddy's here, our Daddy's home. They run to Daddy. They hug him. They welcome him. They walk him into the house. Miss Walton comes over, and after yelling at him, says, What took you so long to get here, man? What was going on with you? That's what you expect of your husband. He's supposed to get things done. What took you so long, John? And he's like, really? So anyway, she goes, you'll need a cup of coffee. She goes, makes the coffee. She comes back in. She grabs him by the arm. They sit on the couch, and she's holding with everything she's got. The kids are sitting in a circle looking at their dad. And their dad tells them the story how he procured all these presents. She's holding on to him because that's her husband. And she loved him, and she knew that he would come through for her. She hoped her husband would get home. Those kids sit in that circle and said, that's our dad. He's in charge of our family. He's the leader of our family. He will not let us down. We have hope in him. They listened to a story and what was going on. They hoped that their dad would get home. They hoped their provider would take care of them. They hoped their leader would be there. And the leader did not let them down. They had hope despite the problems. You know, hope is a very strange emotion. You can call it what you want, an emotion, a feeling. Whatever you want to call it, hope is strange. Hope drives us all over the place. Hope can bring us real high on the mountain. It can take us real low on the mountain. But I know one thing. When somebody loses hope in their lives and in their heart, it takes them to very dark places. And that's not a good place to go when one loses hope. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, we all go through this experience. We're hopeful one day. The next day we're shot in the wind. But when you lose hope, things in life can get very, very rough. And it takes you to places you really don't want to go. 
But I want to say to you this morning that hope always does its best work in trying and hurtful times. When you're hurting and when you're really tried, if you will allow it, hope will work itself out in your heart. And that is exactly what's happening in the psalm that we read this morning. The psalmist is crying out to God. He's pleading with God, and this is what he says to God in some of these verses. He says in verse 4, How long will you be angry with us in our prayers? I'm pleading to you. I'm crying to you. I'm hoping in you. I'm believing in you, and you will not answer me. How long do I have to do this? How long do I have to pray until you will enter in? In verse 5, he says, You fed us with sorrow and pain. We pray, we seek your face, but all we're getting for food is hurt and pain and misery. How long are you going to do this to us, O God? He says in verse 6, you allow us to be mocked by our neighbors. Everybody's laughing at us and making fun of us and putting us down because of what's happened in our lives. We need you to help and you refuse to help us, O God. Where are you at and what are you going to do in our lives. That's some pretty bold praying. What does Psalm 80 mean really? Well he says it in verse 10. He says he's crying out to God. On behalf of the ten tribes of Israel. Who had went captive by the Assyrians. There was, the tribes were split in two. Ten tribes of the north. Two tribes of the south. The two tribes of the south were free at this point. The Assyrians came in. And they took the ten tribes over. This is why he mentions those three names of Benjamin. Manasseh and Ephraim. They had been taken captive. And in captivity they're put in this so-called prison. And they're crying out to God saying, When are you going to relieve us? When will you help us? We are your people. Why are you treating us like this? But then in this psalm, hope rises up in the guy who writes the psalm. And he remembers the word of God. He makes this big, long prayer. Where are you? Why won't you help me? And what are you going to do? And then all of a sudden, that feeling of hope, that emotion of hope, rises up in him as he remembers the word of God. And he says as such in verse 1. He says, number one, you are our shepherd. You are our leader. You are our guide. You are our king. You led us through Joseph. When we were in bondage in Egypt, you looked down on us and you called us out. You are our Lord, your God. He says, you reign in the heavens. You have no space. You reign all over the place. You are God. But you chose to rule in tabernacle. When he says you reign between the cherubim, he says you came down to the earth when you delivered us from bondage, when you delivered us from Egypt, and we built a tabernacle for you. You came into what was called the holiest of holies in the Ark of the Covenant. And your glory shined there between the cherubims. That is who you are and that is where you reign. You took your residence there. You are our leader and you are our God. He hoped in that God would return to them in such a fashion. He says in verse 2, Your people are ready to march at your command. Come and save us. You'll notice he mentioned those three tribes. Not only were they part of the ten tribes, but they were the first three tribes around the village outside of the Ark of the Covenant. When they got ready to march or go to war, the Spirit of God went first, and these three tribes followed right after. He says, your people are ready to go. When will you come? When will you save us? 
and when will you use us because we are ready to march. He says in verse 3, restore us, save us. How? By shining your glory once again in the life of your people. Your glory that left us and it fled us and it's no longer leading us and guiding us. Shine the light of your love and your mercy on us. Come into the ark and lead us into the promised land. Throughout Psalm 80, he asked over and over again, God, will you do it? God, will you save us? God, will you look down on us? God, will you shine your light on us? Over and over, he asked them to do it again. And he says, do it the same way you did with the Egyptians in Egypt when we were in bondage. He says, you brought us out of bondage. Here we are captive to a people that you said we was going to be captive to. We were captive then, but we grew in bondage. We grew in Egypt. We prospered in Egypt. And you came down and you called us out of that miserable place. And we hoped in you and we believed in you and we trusted you. And you brought us out and you planted us. You gave us a land. You gave us a home. And while we were in that land and that home, you blessed everything we've done. Everywhere we went, we were blessed of you because you are our God, the only true and righteous one. I look into your word and I see what you've done with your people. We hope in you and we trust in you. Not only that, but because we were manifested in the life of other people. The other nations saw the glory of God in our lives. Not because of us. But as Israel traveled and they got ready to go, some nations would say, we don't want to fight you. We heard what you did to the Egyptians. We want nothing to do with you. Come on into your promised land. It wasn't for us, he says. It was for you and your glory. We were blessed because of you. We hope in you. Do it again, O Lord our God. Now this psalm talks about Israel physically being taken out of the land of bondage back to their promised land. And they were restored. They got to go home. But we notice in verse 17 was what our candle was lit for this morning. The psalmist was asking God to physically restore them. But verse 17 looks to a time when God would restore the whole of man. Not just a nation of Israel, but all of mankind for himself. He told Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And guess what? God heard the prayer of his people. He'd done it through his son, Jesus Christ, on that famous day when today, God has heard the prayer of his people. God, this morning on this first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. God heard the prayer of his people. He remembered his promise and he did not let his people down. He said, I'm going to send you back home. And the old Persian king came and says, Israel, return back to Jerusalem and worship God as you see fit. They built their temple up. They built their tabernacle up and they began to worship God. And he not only said that, he said to Mary, now I'm going to touch my people Israel. And through Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And here comes Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one they preached about, talked about, prayed about, warned about. They wanted him to come. God says, I've heard their prayer and now I'm going to do it. The psalmist had hope. God fulfilled their hope. The people had hope. Jesus Christ came and he came to save man from his sin. And it was that hope that brought God down and says, I'm going to take care of this. 
So I say to you this morning, man or woman of God, I say, has your light of hope been darkened by hurt and pain? Are you struggling in your life? Is hope seem to be burnt out in you that you don't know where to go? You don't know who to turn to. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Are you hurting this morning? I say to you, man or woman of God, open your heart to Jesus Christ and allow the light of hope to shine in you again. Let him touch your heart. Let him touch your soul. Let him revive you and touch you and minister to you and do the work that he wants to do. He knows you. He understands you. He sees you. He feels you. He knows everything about you. But he says, have hope in me and trust in me and know I will give you hope once again. I say to you, Oak Street brethren, this morning, is your hope wavering as we head into a new year, into a new direction, a new phase of life? Are you struggling yourself in your hope for the church? At first, I thought, you know what? People, we are living in a hopeless time, but my goodness, listen to your own message, Brian. Look in the Word of God. Look in His Word. His Word is full of hope. We don't need to be wondering or wavering in our lives. Look in God's Word and let the the light of hope burn in you again. What does His Word say? Number one, it says we are saved because of Jesus Christ. He saved your soul. He touched your life. He changed you. He made you new. Have hope in that, that you are right with God. Secondly, individual, church, hope that he understands all your hurts and pains. Still, he's working out his will in your lives. This is what Romans chapter 8 says. When the children of Israel, they was wondering, what are you doing with us? How are you moving in our lives? Why are we going through this? He said, trust me, I'm working it out. Trust me, I'm working it out. Trust me, I'm touching you. Don't close yourself off to me, but trust me this morning, he says. Everything that you and I ever go through as an individual, everything we go through as a church, everything we're moving through, we're trying to work out it with him. But he's moving us, he's leading us, he's guiding us, he's touching our hearts. Let his hope reign in us this morning. Hope. Hope that our prayers really do make a difference to God. The psalmist was mad as a firecracker, dude. He was bent out of shape. You're not answering my prayer. What are you doing? Do you not care about me at all? Do you not understand me? Do you not know what I'm going through? Do you not know my pains or my struggles? And constantly you say to me, no, 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 no. And God says, have hope, man. The psalmist says, I now look into the word of God and I believe your word and I trust your word that knowing that my prayer does make a difference to God. You got to let him work how he wants to work, what he wants to work, when he wants to hurt. But you keep praying, you keep seeking, you keep hoping, you keep trusting in him and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. Our prayers truly make a difference. Hope. Hope that our families will be restored and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Every parent, every grandparent, all family members worried about the spiritual soul of their family members. Are they going to know Jesus Christ? And on the day of judgment, will they 
say, I've accepted you and walk through those pearly gates. But in the meantime, family struggles, families fight, families disagree, they argue, they split from one another, they want nothing to do with one another. And for the believer, that hurts because it shouldn't be like that. But God restored the families of Israel. He brought them all together. He restored the disciples. He restored the church. He will restore our families, and he will make it right. So hope that our families will be restored and follow him. This is all scripture. In the days of, of Acts, when one person got saved, the whole family got saved. They all got baptized. They all followed Jesus. All this stuff I'm saying to you is in the word of God. You can have hope in him because you can have hope in his word. That his word is true, his word is righteous, and his word is just. Ultimately, hope. Hope that he's coming back for us again. He promised Israel through Abraham. He says, I'm going to send your people into captivity, but after 400 years, I'm coming to get them. And he did. Isaiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to send a son. I'm going to save you like you've never seen before. And not only am I going to save you, but in promise to Abraham, I'm going to save all the world Through this one person. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said. The angels come and they said. Here is the Christ. He will be born here on this day at this time. He showed all the guys who were coming to follow. He is coming and he came. And that's what Christmas is all about. Hope was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that hope will be fulfilled again. I know we got wars and strife and fighting going on. And if we look at that, we can get a little bit down. But we have to look to the sky that Jesus says he's going to break those skies right open. And he's going to come back and he's going to take us and receive us into himself. We have that hope. And it restores that relationship with that. He restores everything. All the loved ones who've known Christ have passed on before us. All the family members. He restores it all. He said he was going to do it. And he will do it at his second coming. Brothers and sisters of Christ. Let the hope of Christ reign in you again. Let him move in you. Let him touch you. Open your heart to him. This morning it's just a symbol. We lit this little candle. In the big scheme of life it may mean nothing. But this little thing represents hope. There was nothing lit before we started service today, but we began to worship God. We read some scripture. We prayed and we lit that candle. And that candle shines by itself just a little bit to say that God is here. God is with us and he wants to rule and he wants to reign in your life. If you're hurting and you're struggling, let God's hope reign in you. I had no Lutheran chaplain when I was in the army. When we'd go to the field. He liked to sing this crazy song. I thought it was an army field song. But apparently it's a hymn. And since I can't sing and don't want to run the moment. I'm going to say it out for you. This is the old army Lutheran field song. Thank you Chaplain Stein Hilber for doing this. This is what it says. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around. Can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it. You spread his love to everyone you want 
to pass it on. And I'm saying to you this morning, man, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you think God hasn't heard you, he hasn't answered you, he's not moving you in the direction you think you need to go, he's here today. Let hope touch you again and let God reign in your hearts. Would you pray with me this morning? Now, Heavenly Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you for this first Sunday of Advent and hope. We all need hope. We've got to have hope in something, Lord. Hope drives us forward. The lack of hope drives us backwards. But you, God, are a God of hope. And on this first Sunday of Advent, we look to you to touch our hearts and touch our lives and to heal that which is broken. And for just a few moments, God, I'm going to ask you to do the work that you want to do in the lives of your people. For we are your holy people. You loved us. You died for us. You rose again for us. Thank you for the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I ask you this morning, church, if there's anyone here that hope does not reign in you like you want. Maybe it's been burnout. You're struggling. You're hurting and in pain. And I know it's a hard thing to do, but I would just ask you if you'd want to come to the front and allow me and the deacons to pray with you that God would ignite his fire in your heart and soul, that you would return to him and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. I'll wait just a moment and allow God to take his time to move in our hearts.